Good morning, everyone. I hate to break up the uh, conversation. I love it. I, I, uh, I hope you know that, that uh, our hope and prayer is not that you just worship side by side, but that you actually develop friendships here. Because that's when true transformation happens. When we find our people and we find our identity within that people, which is the people of God, and we have affection for one another, we're bonded together in friendship. That way, Sunday morning isn't just a service, it's an opportunity for you to reconnect with your friends. If it's just a service, it's not going to be very powerful. But if you actually develop friendships here with the people of God, who you're living life together with, who you can know, and they can know you, and they can remind you of truth, and you can remind them of truth, that's when the gospel really starts to take shape and mold and develop us and make us mature believers who not only know the word, but who are found and free in the word and empowered by the spirit to take that gospel and proclaim it to people who have not yet heard it. And our family grows and we get more friends and it's a beautiful thing and that's how God grows his kingdom. So that's what we're driving at here. So all that to say, it's like, man, you like to talk, right? Oh, the Lord give me, gave me the gift of gab. All that to say, I'm glad that you're talkative on Sunday morning. That's a good thing. And hopefully you're talking about more than just the weather. Hopefully you're sharing your lives with one another and developing true friendships here in unity around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, to our sermon series, we are two weeks away, this is the second to last week, to wrapping up none greater. If you don't know that yellow symbol is the greater than sign for mathematics, so if you weren't a fan of maths, as they say in Britain, if you weren't a fan of math, then uh, you probably don't know what that is, but it means none greater, meaning there is none greater than God most high. We've been spending the summer looking at his different attributes, putting a magnifying glass over him, because it's not enough for us to just focus on our sin. If we just focus on our sin and what we shouldn't be about, that's like, makes a bunch of Eeyores and joyless people in the faith, right? And that's not helpful. What we need is to glimpse God's glory. And if we see who God is as he is, and get that glimpse of, of how awesome and how there is truly none greater than God most high, if we catch a glimpse of his glory, then he'll take care of our sin. That'll take care of it, right? And we, we move into relationship with him. So, I don't know how many of you have heard this song. How many of you have heard uh, the song Gyra? Gyra, right, by Maverick City. If you haven't, wherever you get your music, go home, type it in, pull it out. Gyra, it's Gyra. You are enough, that song. They do it way better than I do, but that's how it goes. And that, that song actually inspired this series. I was listening to it when it first came out. I'm like, man, these guys can sing. Also, I love how it sounds. What in the hairy does Jira mean, right? Jira, God, you're enough. What does that mean? And it kind of says it in the song, but I looked it up. It's the Hebrew word that comes from Genesis 22, verse 14, where Abraham is taking his son Isaac up onto the mountain to sacrifice him because God has asked him to do that. He says, hey, I know you love me, but I want to see how much you love me and what you're going to withhold from me. I want you to sacrifice your son. And this is Isaac, he had waited, Abraham had waited for Isaac for years and years and years and years. It's a whole story, you should read it. And so it's a, it a big deal, right? It's a big deal for God to ask this. So they're walking up on the mountain. He's walking hand in hand with his son. They got the, the, the sticks or the, the wood for the sacrifice. And Isaac's no dummy. And he says, Dad, we got all everything for the sacrifice, but the sacrifice. Where are we going to get the sacrifice? And Abraham, I love it. It's like a cringeworthy moment in the story, right? As a father with kids, you think, man, how's he going to answer this? And that's where we're revealed with the name of God. God will provide 
Abraham says. And if you're reading in the original Hebrew, it says Yahweh or Jehovah. Jehovah Jireh. God will provide the sacrifice. And if you read on to the end of the story, God does not allow Abraham to sacrifice his son. He provides a, a, a ram from the thicket. And God does indeed provide. And so I looked all of that up and I was like, wow, that's powerful. I love that. God, Jehovah Jireh, he's the God who provides. Again, if you haven't listened to the song, you definitely should. So I, I go through and I'm researching that and that sent me down a little rabbit hole of looking up the different names that God gives himself throughout scripture. There are tons. Jehovah Jireh. One of my personal favorites, which is what we're going to talk about today, is Jehovah or Yahweh, Jehovah Rapha. Jehovah Rapha, which means the God who heals or the God who is the great physician. It comes to us from Exodus 15, verse 26. Here the Lord God reveals himself as a healer. He says to his people of Israel, he says, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commandments and keep his decrees, I will not bring any of the diseases I brought on to the Egyptians. Why? For I am the Lord who heals. I am Jehovah Rapha. God declares himself to be the God who heals us, who heals his people. And if you would move from Exodus throughout the story of the Old Testament, from Exodus of God and his people into Psalms and into the prophets, you would encounter multiple occasions where the people mess up or enemies come against God's people and God countless times shows up and he says, I will heal you. And then he acts and he does that. He heals them and he heals their lands. He is Jehovah Rapha the God who heals. Now last week, I introduced you to a resource that I love called gotquestions.org. And we looked at what does it mean that God is just? This week, they answer another question for us that we're going to deal with today. The question is this at the top of the website. It says, what does it mean that God is Jehovah Rapha? It's very specific, right? (laughs) Very specific question. And they have an awesome article in there I want to share with you today. What does it mean that God is Jehovah Rapha. What does it mean that our God is a God who heals? The article says Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, has the power to heal physically. And then the author's article, or the article's author, uh, sends us to 2 Kings 5 verse 10. 2 Kings 5 verse 10. And we see that our God is a God who heals physically. We're told of a story about a man named Naaman. Naaman is a military officer of, a Sir, of the Syrian army. And the Syrians were, were not friends with the Israelites. They were against the Israelites, so God's enemy. And he hears he has leprosy. Naaman has leprosy. And he hears through the grapevine that there's a prophet in Israel who works on behalf of this God who heals, who can restore him to full health. And so he sends a messenger out to speak with Elisha, the prophet, and here's what we're told. Elisha sent a messenger to him, Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. It's kind of an involved story, but what you need to know this morning is that Naaman, an enemy of God and God's people, hears that God is a God who heals. He goes to speak with some of God's people, gets instruction on how to receive healing, follows through with it, and God cures the incurable disease of leprosy. And he goes away a foreigner and an en- or he, he, he comes a foreigner and enemy, and he goes away a follower of Yahweh, of Jehovah Rapha, because he experienced God's mighty power to heal him personally. Personally. So the article tells us that Jehovah Rapha, 
what does it mean that God who heals? It means that he can heal us physically. He continues, he says that it also means that, that God can heal us emotionally as well. And we're directed to Psalm 34, verse 18. Psalm 34, verse 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Is your heart broken this morning over something? Do you ever feel crushed in your spirit, depressed, anxious, down? Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, he can meet you in those emotions and he can bring his power to heal upon them. Because he doesn't just heal physically, he heals us emotionally as well. The author continues, what does it mean that God is Jehovah Rapha? It means that he heals us physically, he heals us emotionally. It also means that he heals us mentally. The author directs us to uh, Daniel chapter 4, verse 34, where we encounter an awesome story about King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar is an arrogant king. He rules over the kingdom of Babylon. Babylon was great. It contained one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the hanging gardens of Babylon. We're told that King Nebuchadnezzar is arrogantly walking on his palace tower, gazing out upon everything that he created. And he boasts, he says as he looks out, look at what I have done. Look at the majesty of my kingdom. And God Most High is not pleased with King Nebuchadnezzar's pride. And he confronts him and he says, listen here, son, without me you could do nothing. We're told that God is offended by his arrogance and determines to inflict him with insanity. And he drives King Nebuchadnezzar out into the wilderness from his palace heights down to the depths of the ground where he goes insane. And we're told in Daniel that he eats cows or he eats grass like a cow for seven times, for a period of seven times. I don't know how, that long, how long that is, but it's long enough to be uncomfortable. Daniel 4, verse 34, we're told that at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my hand or raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Here, church, we learn that Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, he not only can heal our physical ailments, he not only can heal our emotional ailments, he can also heal us mentally. And I just want to say for a moment, in a world, in the Western world, that has got a prescription drug for everything, and the Bible is not against medication. Medication can be tremendously helpful. Sometimes we need medication to get stable enough to enter into the discipleship process. But I just want to ask, what would the church look like in the West if we actually took serious God's power to heal us mentally from depression, from anxiety, from hurt, from anguish? He can and he wants to. And sometimes that's through medicine, and sometimes that's through a miraculous work by his power. Church, we worship a God who not only forgives, we worship the God who is a healer, who is the great physician. He heals us physically, he heals us emotionally, he has the power to heal us mentally. And the author of the article on gotquestions.com points us to Psalm 103, reminding us that he has the power to hear us spiritually as well. Praise the Lord, the psalmist writes, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Why? Because he forgives all your sins and he heals all your diseases. He has the power to heal us 
in so many different ways. These are just a few of the hundred places that we could turn to throughout Scripture where we learn that God is not only the God who heals in name, He is also the God who heals in action. He doesn't just forgive our sins. He promises to restore what sin has stolen and to bind up the wounds that sin has inflicted upon us, whether they be our own sins or the sins of others. The author concludes the paragraph from gotquestions.org by stating this. He says, Neither impurity of the body nor impurity of the soul or spirit can withstand the purifying, healing power of Jehovah Rapha. You might be thinking, that sounds nice. You've just read everything that happened in the past in the Old Testament. Can I expect the God of the New Testament to treat me the same way? Is he willing to heal me and my affliction? To that, I would say yes and amen. We turn to the New Testament and we discover that when God shows up in flesh, when Jesus comes, who is 100% God, 100% human, when he shows up, when God shows up in the flesh, he starts out his ministry. He says, I want you to know what I am about. I'm going to tell you what I'm about. I'm going to display what I'm about. When he starts his ministry, we read in Luke 4, He goes into the synagogue, his hometown. He opens up from the scroll of Isaiah and he reads Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, and Isaiah 58, verse 6. Check it out with me. It says, When Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. This is from Isaiah 61. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down because when they got to preach, they sat down. And all of the eyes were told were on him. They were fastened to him and he began by saying to them, Today, This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. But folks, here is what Jesus meant by this. He wanted everyone to know as he began his ministry and brought the kingdom of God in a more tangible way here on earth. He wanted everyone to know that the God who heals had arrived on the scene. He starts out his ministry and he turns to Isaiah 61 and he reads about the anointed one, the Messiah that everyone had looked forward to his coming. And he says, I am here and I have come to proclaim freedom to the captives, good news to the poor. I've come to bind up the brokenhearted. He says this prophecy that you've all heard and you know is today fulfilled. I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the God who heals. And today you are going to see the great physician go to work. And then he does. He does. And we get to witness firsthand as we read through the Gospels what it looks like to have not only the God who forgives and provides on the scene, but what it looks like to have the God who heals on the scene. Jesus goes from town to town and he proclaims the good news to the poor. He says, listen, if you're poor... Don't worry about it. Be poor in spirit. Recognize Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Recognize that if I take care of the lilies, if I clothe them with beauty and splendor, how much more will I take care of you? If you're poor and don't have lots of monetary stuff, don't worry about that. If you have me, if you have Jehovah Jireh, the God who's enough, you have enough. He continues. 
says not only is Jehovah Jireh on the scene, Jehovah Rapha is here. And we see him move from town to town, binding up the brokenhearted. To the woman at the well who had multiple husbands, he doesn't come condemning her. She's looking for identity and sexual relationships, trying to find a man who will love her. And what does he say? I love you. I want to heal you. I want to be your identity. Let me. She goes into town having been healed and given a new identity, and she says what? She says, come meet the man who told me everything that I ever did. Come meet the man who exposed all of my sin and turned my greatest trauma into my greatest testimony because I let the Lord Jesus Christ heal my heart. We see him bind up the brokenhearted. We see him set captives free. He heals the blind physically, spiritually. He heals the lame, right? The, the lame man walks in or is carried in, lowered from the roof. He's wanting physical healing. Says Jesus, Jesus says, I'm going to take care of that. I'm the God who heals. I can deal with your physical ailments. But Jesus has a deeper thing that he wants to do in this man. He says, why are you here? He says, I want to be healed. And Jesus says, okay, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they are ticked. They're thinking in their hearts, how dare Jesus say your sins are forgiven? Only God can do that. And Jesus, with a twinkle in his eye, thinks to himself, precisely, exactly. And he says, to show you that I have the power to forgive sins, you, young man, take up your mat and walk. And he heals him physically, but he heals him spiritually as well. We see that he forgives sins. He casts out demons, countless demons. It's always a wonder to me as I read the New Testament and I see multiple occasions. There's a couple different occasions where there's a young man or a young woman who, who goes into convulsions. And sometimes they know that that's a medical condition that, that needs to be healed through, through medicine and through prayer. But other times, they look at this and they see, actually, this is a spiritual problem and there's a demon behind this that needs to be cast out. Friends, do you believe that there are such a thing as demons? If you're a believer and you believe that Jesus Christ raised from three days after he died, then you can believe there's a spirituality that there's such a thing as demons. There's not a demon behind every bush, not every affliction that you and I experience, not every sickness, ailment, mental thing, handicap, whatever. Not everything is demonic. But some of it might be. Don't you think as the church, if, if we want to help people get free and found, we should at least consider the possibility that there might be demons present that need to be evicted and cast out? If you're a believer in Jesus, you have the authority because you're seated with him in Christ and all the spiritual powers and authority are under Christ. Therefore, if you're seated with him, those things are under you too. And by the blood of Jesus, you have authority to say, hey, whatever reason that you're here, that's covered by the blood of Jesus. We're going to cancel those legal grounds and we're going to command you to leave. And because you're in Christ and you carry his spiritual authority, you are a, a sheriff with delegated authority in his kingdom. The spiritual authority's got to listen because they know you're coming with the power of the king. We should take this seriously, folks. We see Jesus show up. We see what it means to have Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And I want to expand our thinking about this. I don't want us to get trapped into thinking that, that healing is just a physical thing. It's far broader than that. So you say, Levi, what's the definition for God's healing in my life? Here it is. 
Healing is the restoration of God's order to a person's life. If your life is disordered from what God desires, you need healing. You might need physical healing. You might need emotional healing. You might need mental healing. You might need spiritual healing. You might need all of it. But if there is disorder in your life, then God wants to bring his healing. He wants to bring his restoration to his hoarder in your life. In your life. To summarize again, as we saw, Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, has the power to heal physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. Neither impurity of body nor impurity of soul can withstand the purifying, healing power of Jehovah Rapha. And rather than spending the rest of our time focusing on on God's power to heal, I simply want to ask the question, why should you and I care that he desires to heal and can heal us? Last week, we talked a lot about God's justice. It's a very important concept. You and I have committed a sin against God, many of them, that deserve justice. And we learned last week that God shows no partiality or favoritism in meeting out his justice and rewarding us for the good things we do and punishing us for the bad things we do. That's a heavy thing. But the good news is that if we will come into Jesus, the punishment that you and I deserve to satisfy God's justice, he says, I will place on my son so that you can get Mercy and grace rather than condemnation and judgment. Awesome. It's it's amazing. He's provided us forgiveness for sin. Great. Let's go to the next slide. There's a chasm between you and God, and the cross bridges that chasm. There's a chasm of sin. We need forgiveness for it, and the cross makes that possible. Praise Jesus. Yes and amen. Here's the problem. What happens next? See, you and I have lived a life. We have a past. We've committed sins that have brought consequences into our life. Worse yet, we have been sinned against. Our parents were not perfect. They may have said or spoken things over us that wounded us deeply. We may have experienced trauma or accidents because we live in a fallen world where that stuff happens. We are wounded. We carry with us a heavy load of baggage. And for that, Jesus says, I'm going to forgive you for all of that. But if we stop there and don't also receive God's healing, then we're on the other side next to God, but there may be things in our life that act like a control or a cork in God's bottle that prevent us from experiencing all of the freedom and fruitfulness that God has for us so that we can run this race that God has set set out for us. Rather than being tangled up and bound up, we can run in freedom because we've been healed, not just forgiven. This is also an important part of the gospel. We need not just God's forgiveness. We need also his healing. There's kind of a weird metaphor in the scriptures where it talks about the locust coming and ravishing the land. It happened from time to time as God's judgment. It would come and if you read about how locusts works, they come in, how they work, they come in swarms and there's kind of three stages. They, they have the larvae and they eat stuff and then they grow a little bigger and they eat stuff and then the big ones come and they really eat stuff and it destroys all of it. That's what happens when we, we sin and we're sinned against. The locusts come and it steals from us. And what does it mean that God is Jehovah Rapha? That he is the God who heals? Let's turn to Joel chapter 2 and discover what exactly this means. Here's the heart of the great physician, church. I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. 
the great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be ashamed. See, I want you to be healed. I don't want you to be ashamed. I want you to experience my freedom. Then you will know that I am in Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. There is none greater than I. Never again will my people be ashamed. I want to deal with your shame from the wounds, from the abuse that you've undergone, from the sins that you committed. I want to bind up your broken heart. I want to deal with your shame. And afterwards, once you've found, you've been found, you've been set free, you've been forgiven and healed, then I will pour out my spirit on, on people. You will be fruitful, guided by my spirit. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. You will hear from me regularly. Even my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit on them in those days. I will show them signs and wonders on heaven and on earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone... Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and Jerusalem, there will be deliverance. I will find you and I will heal you. I will save you and I will deliver you. Even among the survivors, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, forgiven, set free, delivered, healed. I love that. Do you feel like a survivor this morning? Like you survived a lot? Like you've been through a lot? Like no one knows your trouble. No one knows the abuse, the wounds that you've, you've went through. God says, I know. And even the survivors. I'm going to heal. I'm going to save you. And I'm going to deliver you from your wounds. If you'll let me. If you'll let me. You see, church, the problem, I think, with a lot of Christians is not salvation. In a lot of ways, salvation is the easy part, right? You pop the question to Jesus. You say, hey, I want to be united to you in a marriage. I love you. I know I don't love you as much as I should, but I want to begin that relationship. Jesus says instantly, I do and I will. Saved. Found. Awesome. I don't think that's our problem in the church, right? We get found. We get saved. We get a, we're a new creation, our spirits were formerly dead to God. Now they're reborn. They burst into new life. We're, we're new creations. But even though everything becomes radically new and we express our faith in Jesus for the first time, becoming a Christian does not change any of the details about our personal histories. We become a new creation. We are reborn into a new life. But unless we also receive healing, the baggage from our old life may act like a control or a break on our future growth in God. And I just want to ask you this morning, is there any wound, any sin, any accident, any trauma that as you think about your past, you say, man, that keeps haunting me. I just can't get over this. It's a control or a break. It seems like it's holding me back from being all that God wants me to be. Friend, whatever came into your mind in answer to that question is a place where you need to meet with Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals Peter Horbin is one of my most favorite authors who writes on Christian freedom and healing. In his book, Building on the Rock, Foundations for Freedom, he gives a good but not exhaustive list of the type of things that he finds that Christians need to be healed from. I share it with you now to stir your thinking. 
He says, if you were unloved or unwanted by your parents, you need to receive the work of the great physician in your heart. If you've been wrong, if you felt like you were the wrong gender as far as your parents were concerned, or you had siblings that were preferred above you, Corbin says, you probably need to meet with Jehovah Rapha and have that wound healed. If you've never had your interests, gifts, and abilities recognized or encouraged, Jesus wants to heal that in your heart. If you were squeezed into a parental mold into which you did not fit, right? Your parents had an idea for your life and tried to make you be something you never felt like you wanted to be, but you felt like you had to because you couldn't measure up. And then when you didn't measure up, you felt like mom and dad basically said, I'll only love you if you do X, Y, and Z. Church, that's a wound that has shaped your identity. And Jesus wants to remold that and heal that and give you a new identity. You need to experience healing. If you've been a victim of cruelty or abuse, whether sexual or otherwise, if you were bullied at school or later in life, you need to meet with Jehovah Rapha and be healed. If you've suffered debilitating sicknesses, especially when you were young, if you've experienced accidents or trauma that caused serious personal suffering, Jehovah Rapha wants to meet with you and bring his healing to bear on those things. If you lost a parent or another close family member, especially when you were young. If you experienced suffering or deprivation through poverty or parental unemployment, if you were betrayed in relationships or robbed of goods or things that were precious to you, the Lord Jesus wants to heal you from these things, these wounds and afflictions. If you suffered poverty as an adult, if you experienced unemployment, if you were ever fired, experienced accidents, trauma, relationships, breakdown, divorce, bereavement, There are wounds that exist in your heart that the enemy may have exceeded at planting lies there and the Lord Jesus wants to show you where he was in those moments and heal you and reshape and mold your identity not according to what happened and what was done but according to what he has said and he has said it's finished. Friends, if any of these issues in your past are in your past and you haven't received God's healing in relationship to these, you may know Christ's salvation You may be found, but chances are you're not living in his freedom. Chances are these wounds are in some manner holding you back from future growth and fruit that God desires for you to bear in him. You need to be healed. I want to give you an illustration that will help you think about this. Peter Horman in his book gives it, and I'm going to relay it to you now. He says, imagine an art thief, an art vandal. He vandalizes a a famous painting, right? We can, we can capture that guy and we can punish him for that sin. We can put him in prison for, for the punishment and the justice to be served. But what about the painting? How do we fix that? Well, we need to hire specialists, restorers to come in and go through the process of painstakingly removing the junk and restoring it back to the original design. That is what God desires for his people. Church, Satan is a vandal. He desires to tarnish the beautiful image of God that he has put in each and every one of us. Through our sins, through the sins of others, through accidents, trauma, and abuse in our world. He's a vandal. And the Lord Jesus says, I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the great restorer. I want to restore my order to your life. I want to bind up broken hearts and bring you back to be the beautiful creation that I have made you to be. That's what he's inviting us into. You say, well, how do I do this? 
How do I experience healing and be free? And I don't have time to go through all of it. It's not hard. There's just a lot to talk about, about identity and authority and freedom, and, and there's a lot there. So I'm going to do two things. I'm going to give you a, a brief process that's outlined for us in Second Chronicles 7, 14, and then I'm going to plug one of our ministries to you, okay? So if you want to know the gist, how do I, I not just receive forgiveness, how do I receive healing in Jesus? 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will, give their, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. So here briefly we discover what, what's required for forgiveness and healing. Humility is required. God, there's none greater than you. What you say goes. I'm coming under your authority. I'm going to believe what you want me to believe. I'm going to live in relationship with you. I'm humble. Prayer is involved. I've got to talk to Jesus about it. You can't get healing from your doctor if you never talk to your doctor. Jesus is the great physician. Start talking to him about what ails you. Humility is involved. Prayer is involved. Seeking God's face is involved. It's not a sterile relationship where you go in and say, well, here's my problem, Doc, what do you got for me? He says, I want a relationship with you. Seek my face. I want to know you. You need to know me. Humility, prayer, seeking God's faith, and then repentance. Turning from our wickedness. Turning away from, from what we shouldn't do. Turning back towards what God would have us do. Those are all of the areas that are required for us to experience God's freedom and healing. And if that's not specific enough or helpful enough for you, I just want to plug our freedom ministry for a minute. We've developed this new ministry. We've got, I don't know, close to 10 men and women that have had a little training and are are committed to going through this process. We have an intake form that I can get to you either by paper or or digitally. And essentially it just goes through and it, it asks you a bunch of questions about wounds, sins, accidents, shock, trauma, things that you've experienced in your past. You fill that out, you turn it in, we pray over it, and then three or four of us get together with you in a room where we go through this inventory and we ask the Lord Jesus to show up as the great physician. To say, what, what lies did the enemy succeed in planting? What does God really say? What does God want to say here in this moment? And, and we, pray, we pray for healing. It's not an easy button that we push. It's the start of a journey in discipleship but we've seen some incredible things. I just want to give you a story. We're short on time. We're going to get to communion, but I just feel like God wants me to share it. In Peter Horobin's book, he shares this story about a young man who was tremendously wounded by a stepfather. His stepfather was a real jerk. He never loved him, never spent time with him, never spoke positive things over him, always treated him like he was a nuisance, until one day, when he was eight or ten, his stepfather invited him to go hunting with him and his buddies. Takes him out hunting, He sticks this little boy under a tree in the freezing cold and says, sit here. And then he leaves him for eight hours. And Horbin has this this freedom and prayer ministry. And so in there, this came up. They invited the Holy Spirit to show them any wounds in the past. And this young gentleman had shared, he's probably 40, he's having to deal with all kinds of physical ailments and lots of bad stuff. And he he shared this one story. He said, how did you feel? He said, I felt like I was alone in that moment. Like I'll always be alone, like I'll never be able to trust my family, anyone, God. And Peter, through that ministry, prayed and they asked the Holy Spirit to reveal where Jesus was in that memory. 
So he had him close his eyes and go into that memory and think about all the things that he experienced and the, the abandonment, all of that. And then they asked Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, to show up. And folks, Jesus did show up in that, menace, in that, in that moment to that man. And he said, I see Jesus. In my mind, I see him. And Peter said, what's he saying? He's saying, you're not alone. You were never alone. I was always with you. And in that moment, through that experience, the truth of Scripture was awakened in this man's heart to take a wound that the enemy had used to vandalize the image of God in him for years and years and years and took his greatest trauma and turned it into his greatest testimony. So now he sings the praises of the God who heals and is always with him and who's never, never not with him. He's always with him. He'll never forsake him, never abandon him. That's a small example of the type of stuff that we're, we're hoping to do in your heart. And I'll be honest with you, my hope and prayer is that, is that every single person at Crossroads would go through this, this journey with us. The reality is all of us have a past. We've all been inflicted by different accidents and traumas and our own wounds. And we need King Jesus not just to forgive us, but to heal us so that we can be free and fruitful in his kingdom. So I'll plug that as our ministry. If you would like to fill out the intake form, we would love to meet with you and begin working through that with you. Here's the reality, church. We don't just need forgiveness. We need healing as well. And God, who is the healer, is the only one who can provide us with both. With that, I'd like to turn now to a time of communion. If you are visiting, we, we practice open communion, and here's what that means. If you have a relationship with Jesus, if you know him as your king and your Lord and savior, we invite you to participate with us in, remem in remembering that he is not just the God who forgives, he is also the God who heals us. By his wounds, we are healed. I'm going to read a section of scripture here that Paul gives to us. I'm going to read a, bit, a little bit longer than we normally read because Paul connects, he connects our healing with, with the sin or the unconfessed sin in our life, okay? So I'm going to read it and then I'm going to talk about it and then we'll take communion. So he says this, For I received, this is from 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This, is, this cup is the, is the new covenant of my blood, in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we, are, if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. According to the Apostle Paul, he had no problem with connecting unconfessed sin to sickness and death. 
And I point this out to you only in highlighting the point that we need healing. We need healing. And not every sin that we commit leads to sickness and death directly, right? And not every sickness and, and disease that we get is because of some sin in our life. But the reality is that ultimately, sin leads to death and destruction, to disorder. And God the Father has not only provided a way for us to escape from the penalty of our sin and the sins of others, but in the death and resurrection of Jesus, he's also given us the power to have our lives restored and reordered from the consequences of our sin and the sins of others. He's provided for us the power to live healed, to live forgiven, and to live free from sin. So, don't take the cup and the bread lightly this morning. The consequences could be serious. Search your hearts, and when you're ready, take of the cup and of the bread in faith that God forgives and he heals. Only he has the power to restore what the locusts have eaten. Let's pray, and as I do, the band can come up. Father God, thank you that on the cross and in the resurrection, you've not only provided forgiveness and justice, but you've also provided a means for us to receive your healing. Lord Jesus, give us discernment to know the areas of our heart that are still controlled by the wounds of our past, by unconfessed sin, by sins that others were inflicted upon us, abuse that we underwent. Reveal to us this morning where you would like to bring not only your forgiveness, but also your healing. And Father, as you make our wounds aware to our hearts, don't let us just sit in those afflictions. Be true to your word. You said you will be near to the brokenhearted, near to those who are crushed in spirit, that you will bind up the brokenhearted, that you will restore sight to the blind and grant us the, the ability to walk those of us who are lame. Lord Jesus, we don't just want to walk into your kingdom. We want to run. Let us untangle ourselves from the sin that so easily entangles us. Let us run this race with perseverance, the one that you've marked out for us, Lord, in freedom and in joy for your glory. Amen.